Whenever we talk about the new year, you know, there's really kind of three unproductive ways of which that you could look at the new year. Uh, one is that that uh, that real pessimistic thing, and that is, you know, things. You always look at things kind of like you know in a down perspective. Uh, you know, you, you comments would be just in passing, not even intentional. It just kind of a passing comment. What's difference is it going to make? You know, we've had you know, three tough years, what's different? It looks like the forecast is going to be gloomy. And you just kind of have that pessimistic, let's just, yeah, let's just do it. Uh, another unproductive way is by being, uh, by more of a disheartened way. And that is because of tragedies and events and reversals and step backs, your steps are now heavy. They're, they're just heavy. And it's not that it's not that you, you intended to be that way, but life has not given you that, that, that silver tray type thing. You, you didn't have the golden spoon given to you. And so now you look at life and you look at the scarring that is upon you emotionally and maybe some physically, and you just go, hey, you know what? Uh, it's not that I'm pessimistic. It's I just don't want to be disappointed again. So I'm just going to maintain I don't go too high, I don't, don't go too low, I just stay flat. And if I just stay flat, then that means that I just won't be disappointed. And you try to handle that. Uh, another unpredictive way is probably what most uh, that you see in, in the media, and that is more of a superstitious. It's a new year, and happy new year, and it's all gonna be, and really that person is not, doesn't have a real plan, doesn't have a strategy or direction, doesn't seek the Lord. What they're hoping is that they will accidentally or somehow, some way, bump into good. Just bump into it. You know, that that's the ones who, who uh, and, and to play the lottery. I'll bump into something that will be life-changing. And so they look at the new year as that, that turn the page, let's do it, and it's more of a superstition. None of those are productive. So what I wanna do is talk about three keys that might be of benefit to you in making a difference this year, and three of them. Now, I, I know that a lot of us, uh, we, when we talk about these things, we immediately kind of bungee cord over to resolutions, and, and we do that. I, I love the, the guy who said, I've made my resolution that I will make less and easier resolutions this coming year. And so you know, that's kind of the way they figured it out. But I'm not too sure that we really want to get into that because the, the whole concept of resolution is, is just muddied now. You know, it's, it's got all sorts of stuff. It's got multiple meanings to it. It's got multiple identifications with it. I basically want to talk to you about just maybe some things that would be of benefit in life goals. And, and the very first one is simply this, and that is that we, we make time to hear the word of the Lord from Scripture. And that we make time for that. I uh, have always uh, had for a number of years now that every other year that I read through the Bible in its entirety, cover to cover, and I try to use a different translation every year. And I'm not saying that as something braggadocious as much as it is simply the benefit of hearing God's word directly to me on a regular basis. 
I, uh, I, I know you probably have got many different plans. Can I just offer a suggestion to you? One of my favorite ways is what is called a, chron uh, a, a, a year Bible. In other words, there's a reading every day, and it's easy to keep on track because you can see what day you are in the month and all that good stuff, and it takes no more than 15 minutes, and you can read two days at a time whenever it comes to the weekend so you're not reading over the weekend. And the other thing I'd like to suggest to you is the idea of a chronological Bible. It's one of my favorite ways of which to read. In other words, it's not in the order as the books are, you know, Genesis, Exodus, all that. It is in the order of things as they happened historically and happened through that. And it's written chronologically. And, and I think it's just a refreshing way to read the Bible instead of kind of getting into that. And the third thing that I will say to you is using a different translation. In the Old Testament, my favorite is called the New Living Translation. And, and it's the reason why is it because it takes away some of the ambiguity of the Old Testament and just really helps you in that. And so my encouragement to you is make time. Make time to hear God's word to you directly through scripture. Because the majority of the ways that God will speak to you is through his word. There's 15 different ways that God speaks, but his word is predominantly the number one way that he will speak to you. And he speaks to me constantly as I read the word. He prepares me for the day as I read his, God's word. The other thing is this, is that there are some points of which that we need to have in our lives. There are some areas of which that we need to say, I am determined. This is my plan. I will do that. And I have four that I want to suggest to you. And these four are simply your spiritual life, your health, your personal, your personal life, and your family. Now, I know that whenever we talk about these things, we go, oh, no, this is a resolution message. It's not. This is, I'm going to move past this real quickly. But the one thing that I want to remind you of is this, is that sometimes we have the myth of if I feel right, I will do right. That's just the opposite. We need to do right so we will feel right. Did I confuse you? Let me say it again. Sometimes we want to feel right to do right. I will get up because I feel like I need to exercise. I feel like I want to spend time with the Lord. I feel I'm, I'm in a, but I'm not in a good mood, so I don't feel like it, so I won't do that. And what happens is whenever we use the I feel right, then I will do right, suddenly guilt and shame and condemnation and reversal starts happening. But whenever we do right, in spite of how we feel, we will feel right. Whenever you get up and even though it's cold and it's uncomfortable and you still take that time with the Lord and you take time with physical part of your life, you will come out of that going, I feel much better because I did right. See, so here, here they are in your spiritual life. Make a determination of your, your Bible reading, your devotions, fasting, your character issues, your personal issues, that you make a point of that and you put those and you target them. Secondly, your health, that yes, it is important for exercise and diet and, and stress relief and removing those things from your life. Thirdly, personal goals of getting out of debt and, and loosening and better, your, better yourself and your budget so you can have capacity to give and you have capacity to do these things that you've wanted to do. And also being a learner. There's an attitude of learning and I've learned and I'm a learner. I, I have a number of books that I set every year that I will read. 
I just set a number every year how many books I will read. Because why? I want to still be learning and not just learn and finally family goals. There's a recent survey that said two out of five men, only two out of five men say, I love you on a daily basis. We need goals that sometimes are, 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 are a little bit awkward for us. There's family devotions, making of memories, taking of time, but all of those are important. So now I come to really the essence of the message, and that is this. What are three keys to making a difference in the new year? What are the three? Here's, here's the first one. There's only three. <laughs> it's not long, right? And the good news is because I'm speaking, you're going to get out early, all right? So that's a, that's a good thing here. The first one is this, is that stop, uh, stop reenacting the past. It's found in Isaiah 43, a great passage of Scripture, verses 18 and 19. Ready? Here it goes. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Wow. Let me say that again. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Can I read that last part one more time? I will make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That, the, the idea of remembering in Hebrew is the whole concept of reenacting. It's exactly what took place with the live nativity this year, is that there was a reenactment for the purpose of remembering the incarnation of Christ. So as wonderfully as you've done as a church, as you have reenacted that, what he is saying to us is that we need to stop reenacting things of our past. We need to stop reenacting those. Stop rehearsing, reminding ourselves. It's like a videotape of tragedies or disappointment or poor decisions or, or things of lost opportunities or things that have been said or haven't been said, things that were promised and unfulfilled. And we have a tendency to reenact those, to redo that. How do we do that? We do that emotionally by replaying those, those tapes. I was a uh, Riding down in the, riding down just in the car. I, I travel a lot. I do a, I'm in the car a whole lot. And I was just riding in the car and just flashed. It just flashed uh, a, an event that happened in which that I was humiliated. I mean, and it, I don't know what triggered it. I don't know if someone looks familiar or whatever in the, in the 30,000 of my dearest friends that I'm with on Highway 85 going into Atlanta. I don't know. But, um, but it just flashed to me. And I caught myself reenacting it, rehearsing it, feeling the emotion of it, feeling the, the tension and, the, and, the, and, and, and literally, I felt it in my body. I felt it in my emotions. He is saying to us, stop reenacting those things. You say, well, listen, Mark, that's pretty easy to say. How is that possible? Because that happens to me constantly. I, I think of current events and I, I compare them and I play them back again. What the scripture teaches us and what we understand really throughout uh, current science is that whenever we do that reenactment, it's like building a skeleton uh, around ourselves. Um, years ago, I went to New York and I had the privilege of going there 
and went to the Statue of Liberty and they were rebuilding, they were remodeling it, refreshing it. And they had this unbelievable structure of scaffolding all around it, massive. It was massive. It, it was something to behold. It really was. You could barely even see the Statue of Liberty because of this structure, the scaffolding that was all around it. That's what remembering the past does to us. It encircles us. It encapsulates us. It takes away from a clear view of us into what we see is that we cannot move forward because we're incarcerated by these memories of the past and it prevents us from going forward. Does that make sense? We've seen it, you've seen it probably re recently in the Washington Monument. They had it all the way to the very top. They had the structure around it. And that's what memories of the past do. You say, well, okay, I got that picture. I got that but you got to understand, how do you stop that? That's whenever he says, I will even make a road in the wilderness and streams in the desert. That's whenever we honestly come to the Lord and say, Father, I can't do this. I need your healing. I need you to come and I need you to work inside of my life and remind me and refresh to me the healing of the Lord. Let me give you a, a, a mystery illustration today, aren't I? Well, uh, you know, after 20, I call quits, all right? So we only got through. But if I had a cut upon my arm, what I will do to make the pain stop is to put ice on it. And then what it does, it numbs it. It numbs it. And so lots of times we think that's the strategy of God. What I will do is I'll not think about it. Or I'll, 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 I'll just say, I'm moving on. Or we put it in a category, we put it in a box or whatever. And all we're doing is putting ice on it. Well, the problem is, is ice melts. And then it sets up gangrene. What's the real answer? The real answer is to bring healing to that place that's wounded. So that way, whenever life bumps into it, it doesn't hurt anymore. How do we do that? We allow the progressive healing of the Lord to come into our lives. We say, Father, I just lay this to you. It's obviously, whenever I was flashing of that awkward moment, it was still a part of me. Father, I bring that to you. I bring that to you that you will bring healing into my life. Now, let me just give you a heads up. That is not done with a one and done prayer. That's not accomplished because there is a progression of healing. Remember the children of Israel when they came out of Exodus? That they had to go through all these different things? That's progressive healing. They had to come out of a slave mentality into a free mentality. The same with you, same with me, is that we have to say, Lord, I come to you, now bring that healing to me and bring that restoration so that the shell, this structure, this thing that's holding me back will be freed and I will have the freedom and the abundancy in Christ. It's done through prayer. It's done through allowing the Holy Spirit to work inside of you, to say to the Holy Spirit, I give you permission to work and to heal and to mend and to heal so that I no longer have to do things to medicate my woundedness. I can see healing in that place. Here's the second one. The second one is regain hope in your life for this year, new year to make a difference. It's found here in Matthew 1.23. You, you know this one. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, being interpreted, God with us. Wow. That's, you know, okay, I know we, we say that in Christmas plays and all that good stuff. Can I tell you a quick story? Um, 
I was the very first church I ever worked at was in Irving, Texas. And I wasn't there but just a, a couple months, and they had the Christmas production, and they had all the kids in the bathrobes and all the girls with the the hanger halo, you know, where you take the hanger and you put tinsel around. They were all lined up, had little Johnny, five years old, who was supposed to do the very first thing, welcome to our Christmas play, you know. And uh, Johnny practiced, he was ready, but Johnny was the terror of the city. <laughs> and Johnny, Johnny just was, he was wild. And so he practiced and he came to time. All the kids were there. Everybody was lined up. Everybody was all there. So all the camcorders about the size of a suitcase. You know, was on a tripod. You remember those days? And so it was all lined up. They were all there. Everything. Johnny comes and freezes, doesn't say a word. So the director, she goes, welcome to our Christmas. You know, and all that. Not a thing, nothing. Finally, a couple moms were helping out. Wow, God, darn Christmas. Finally, about four minutes into this thing, it seemed like, but it was only seconds, the whole section was going, welcome to our Christmas. Nothing. Finally, Johnny, in his point of spontaneity, who knows why, started singing the jingle to the commercial, if you got the time, we got the beer, Miller beer. You, know, you just go, wow, okay, you know. Okay, I, I know you've heard this scripture a whole lot, but the point is God with us. That is, the, that is the centrality of the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. God with us, that he came and he died on the cross. Hey, what's the deal? Is you've got to understand in the center, in the core of all Christianity is hope, is hope. Now, we have a tendency to misinterpret hope because we think of hope like um, wishing or being overly optimistic or being one of those people, you know, <laughs> one of those where you go, seriously, if they, yeah, you know, they got to dial it back some. That's not what we're talking about here. Hope is being realistic but not despondent. Hope is looking in the face of your issues, face of your struggles, face of your challenges, the face of the challenges we face locally and regionally and nationally and worldwide, and looking at that in squarely in the face and understand that there is coming a time when all things will be new. And we have that hope. We have the hope by not what we have in our hand, not what, we, not what we can see, but that we have a confidence of what will come in time. That's hope. That's the hope that we need to have reborn within us in the body of Christ. The one thing I'm concerned about here in America is that the body of Christ is now being affected more than we're willing to acknowledge. And one thing about the body of Christ is that we're losing our hope. Hope. Hope is that constant theme in the Bible. It is God who comes to emptiness, to death, to sickness, and he brings fulfillment and life and wholeness. Hope in the face of countless times when it seems like the life is just filled with hopelessness and God takes an enormous amount of joy in changing the direction and changing the path of that into a better place. If you want illustration, let's look at the children of Israel. They were trapped 
in the bondage of the most powerful nation in their time. They were brutally treated as slaves and they had no reason, they had no reason for a broader hope, a broader future of things being changed. Yet through their hopelessness, these, these people of God, he was able to work and bring forth his kingdom like no one ever had seen before. Hope, hope is taking these landless slaves and making an example of what God is like through them. When we look out through all the Old Testament and God uses individuals with no name, with no status, with no credibility, with no, with no standing, and he used them to bring forth, not, you know how it was in the Old Testament, the firstborn got everything. Everyone else was subservient to the firstborn, but God did not use the firstborn. He used the latterborn of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, as well as Moses and Joseph and David. He brought them forth as the ones who bear the answer in the bringing forth the kingdom of God even though it was just culturally just a, a curse to be barren, God chose to use women who were like Sarah and Leah and Hannah who were scorned for their day to bear the child to advance the kingdom of God. God still, still is using hope and we need hope to be reborn within us. We need to understand that we just celebrated Christmas, the, the coming of Christ, it exemplifies this hope like nothing else. The, among a people, among the Jewish people who were living in fear and once again the brutality of the thumb, under the thumb of a tyrant for generations, there was no hope that they would see a deliverance until Jesus came. And in spite of the world's condition, he brought a child into the world. And the world, even when the world had no reason to expect one, no reason to expect an answer, God made Christ flesh among us. His very first miracle, Jesus' very first miracle, wedding of Cana. He didn't just create or or produce or provide enough wine to top off the top. He provided gallons of the finest in the feeding of the 5,000. He didn't just give them a snack to tide them over till they could go home and find something to eat. He gave them enough food where there was leftovers to be taken home. Whenever we see the miracles of healing, he didn't just heal the sick. He fixed the broken. Whenever he restored that which was lost to them, those who were demon-possessed, he not only delivered them, but he returned them to their home and their family. See, he does so much more whenever we give God space with hope, whenever we give him opportunity. Can I, can I remind you of something? We do not serve a stingy redeemer. We serve a living God who wants to restore the lost and the broken and give them hope in the midst of a, a difficult time. God is committed and he is fulfilling his commandment of himself 
that he promised that he will renew his world and continue his pattern of bringing light where there is darkness, fullness where there was emptiness, and life where there is death. I'm saying to you, we need to revive within ourselves the hope of the Lord because he is a God of hope. God will not leave us in darkness, but he will bring us into light. He's not content to leave us as sinners. He wants to adopt us as sons and daughters. That is the hope that we have in the Lord. So whenever we look back at the first coming of Christ, we see that that brought forth hope to them. We now need to look with a greater confidence of his second coming whenever he shall come and shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. That's the hope we have. That leads me to my third one. This is my last one. Aren't you glad I didn't have 14 points? Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. Yeah, I can produce that. I can't. Here's my third one, is that we need to expect the Lord to come into our world. For us to have a meaningful new year, we need to expect God to come into our world. The prophetic scripture that's found in Luke 21, 28, it goes like this. Now, when these things began to happen, look up, lift up your eyes, lift up your heads, because your redemption draweth nigh. That is a prophetic scripture that has application beyond just the return of the Lord. Now, I know that's why we kind of exclusively have put it at as his return is that it says that whenever things happen, and he lists them in Luke 21, he says, lift up your heads because your redemption draweth nigh. But not not doing bad, you know, exegesis, not, not taking license with the scripture, we can also see that this is prophetic to our day in our lives now, right now. Whenever you go through challenges and difficulties and hardships and troubles, lift up your head for your Redeemer. Your redemption draws down. We need to once again to expect Jesus to step into our world, our private world, the world of which that we need his involvement, that we need his in injection. We need to once again regain that, that vitality, not only of his second coming. And yes, we do need to live with that promise. And we need to live with the realization that he shall return. In the same way that he came, he shall come again. We need to live with that. Because when we live with that realization, it affects how we behave. It affects how we treat others. It affects every aspect of our life. But we also need to live like we expect him to step into our lives today in the situation you're facing. See, the problem is that God, in his greatness, has obligated himself to certain laws. He's obligated himself. For example, he said, without the remission of sin, there, uh, without the shedding of the blood, there's no remission of sin. So he had to have a sacrifice, Jesus. He committed himself to that. He also said that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, he doesn't move, he doesn't act. You know what that means? You open the door. You open the door. You, you make yourself available. You look for that opportunity. I, I am um, from a long history of, from uh, I got generations of the guy who stands at the door waiting for the grandkids to arrive. I, 
my great-grandfather, I'm sure that he stood at the door when the covered wagon was coming across and saying, hey, look, the grandkids are here. And yes, my daughter will call and say, hey, we're coming over. And I go to the door, the side door, drives my wife crazy, and I wait. I wait. I, 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 I don't know why, but I do. And when they come, what do I say? They're here, you know. It's only been 10 minutes. They were lived just on the other side of town, you know. It's not like they're coming from Alaska. But I say they're here because I'm anticipating their arrival. Can you do that with God in your situation? Are you willing to say he's going to step into my, what seems to be an impossible situation? Are you willing to say he's, Stepping into my health, my finances, my future, my, oh man, I don't need to grocery list that to you, do I? Are you willing to say he's here? I'm looking for him in that way. Well, you see, those are, those are some ideas of making your year having a difference in this year. Not just make it something of small. So let me illustrate by simply ending with one more illustration. This is number 20, and it is the final one, by the way. And the crowd goes crazy. Yeah. I, uh, I have had the great privilege of working with individuals who have come out of homelessness and, and trafficking and addiction. I've, I, Lord has given me that privilege. I am so honored to walk alongside individuals. And I have two people that I want to tell you about. One was a guy, and I'll just call him Johnny, and he was standing outside of a homeless shelter, and I, 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 I've shared this uh, in years past with you guys, and, and I walked up to him, and I said, and started talking to him, and one of the things about homeless folks is nobody ever calls them by name. They're invisible, and so to call someone by name for a homeless person is precious, and so I called him by his name. I'll just call him Johnny. Started talking to him. Finally, I said, please, if you don't mind, you've got a lot of stuff. Let's pray that God will step into your situation. He wants to. And he goes, no, no. You cannot give me hope because if I have hope, then everything is so much more difficult. I'd just rather live like I am. The opposite to that was a lady, and I'm just going to call her Michelle. Michelle was trafficked. Because of her situation, she was uh, she she uh, was born into an abusive situation with her parents. Mom was on drugs. Dad was an abuser. So they pulled her out and they put her into foster care. And listen, there's some wonderful people in foster care, but these parents were absolutely just straight from the pit. They were horrible, and they not only did the man abuse her, but the two other boys that were in the house they abused her. And so she took off running and just to run away from, from one horrible situation to another. And Michelle, she just, she just ran. And so what did she do? She ran straight, straight into a, a trafficker. Trafficker who promised to take care of her. And so what happened was is that Michelle was, was coming off the bus and, and it looked like there was just so, uh, another teenager there said, hey, I see you're needing something. You, are you hungry? She goes, I'm, I haven't eaten for days. And took her to McDonald's and gave her a, a, a just a meal at McDonald's and said, do you have a place to stay? And she says, no, I don't even have a place to stay. And 
She says, well, well, I got some friends. We're hanging out this house. Why don't you come with me? And she followed her to the house, and she walked in the door, and soon she crossed the threshold. She got hit in the back of the head by a very large individual, and she woke up, and she was literally chained. Her ankle was chained to a bed, and she was traumatized for months and years. Her main abuser or pimp or whatever you want to call him, I, there's other names, but he, he had to go and, and um, uh, just make a run. He was going somewhere. He was speeding. He got picked up. He got a traffic and he found they had outstanding warrants and they arrested him. And so whenever they started just doing some background check on the whole thing, they went to the house to see if he was involved in drugs because they had a history of drug trafficking and they found her. She came to frontline response, which is now used to be Atlanta Dream Center, and they brought her, and she had no hope, none. Whenever, the very first time, you, you got to understand there's a lot, lot in this, and I'm just compressing all of this story just to tell you what Christ can do. Started having small groups, and she just wouldn't participate at all. It was like, life has treated me. You, who's going to be the next one who's going to abuse me? There's no one left. No one has ever treated me right. No one has ever given me a fair shake. No one has truly said they love me and truly love me. She refused. And so days and weeks passed. It was three weeks, four weeks. Well, let me cut to the end. I was there whenever there was a baptismal service. And Michelle was the one being baptized. And afterwards, she gave a testimony. And she said, the reason why that I am here." It's because I realize that there is a God who truly does love me and care for me, and it gave me hope. She, she's now a director of uh, one of the safe homes, and she's helping other ladies come out of trafficking. Why am I giving you the illustration of two of these? It's because Johnny said, I don't have hope. Don't ask me for it because I don't want that. And Michelle said, I understand and I'm willing to accept the hope of the Lord. There are some of us who are part of the family of God that have been in church almost all of your life. And you do the church. You do it well. You do it faithful. You're here on a rainy day. You get bonus points in heaven, by the way, for that. Do you, do you not know? It's, it's in the book of Philippines or somewhere like that. And, uh, you know, it's uh, maybe book of North Carolina. I don't know. It's somewhere in there, okay? But the point is, is that you have done church all your life, but you really have kind of disengaged with God a little bit, hoping for prayer hoping for miracles, hoping for him to step into your world, hoping to, for him to intervene, to free you of those past points of hurt and tragedy and disappointment. And you've just kind of taken the attitude of this disheartened person. Remember how it started with that? Your steps are just heavy. I just wanted to remind you of this. Is the same one who delivered Michelle wants to step into your world too.